Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fissette. On this episode, we get to meet Jen Wasner. Jen is probably best known as the lead singer and guitarist of indie rock band Y Oak. She's also been involved in a lot of other projects over the years, but this year she released her second solo album under the name Flock of Dimes. In this chat, Jen and I discuss the dark emotional time that inspired a lot of the songs on this record, including her search for hope and compassion. We also talk about the weirdness of the progression of time, what it feels like when your life is marked by things like albums or tours. We talk about why making music, the actual making of the album, is her favorite part of the process and very important to her, and why it gives her such joy. We talk about personal songwriting, touring, as well as what she's been up to over the past year getting ready for this release. So thank you for listening, and please enjoy. This is me meeting Jen Wesner. It was your meeting. It was, I know, that's why I was like, something seems <laughs> off. I feel like we might need to reach out, but I don't know. Who knows what the hell is going on with this thing? I, I feel like Zoom keeps coming up with new and different ways to confuse me, so... I know, and they don't tell me what they're going to be, and then they just happen. Yeah. <laughs> they happen right well, when you're they not need alone. it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, how, how, are you, uh, how are you doing these days? Oh, you know, uh, riding the wave. Mm. I'm, I'm riding the <laughs> wave. Um, you're catching me on a pretty good day, I would say. Um, oh, that's good. <laughs> all, all things considered, I'm, I'm doing quite well. Um, feeling pretty happy that spring's on its way here in North Carolina. Mm. um feeling some like sprinkling of hope on the horizon um i know we're coming up on that year we kind of are at the year we're at the year of of this whole thing i know spring means it's been a year (laughs) it's wild it's really wild isn't it it's so weird i started i mean i started this podcast like because of this last Mm -hmm. last spring and so now it's like it feels like this, we. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting at that time to still be talking about it like now, but right. I don't think any of us were. Yeah, no, I think if you had told me that I would still be dealing with, or we would all be still be dealing with this a year later, I think my brain would have been able to process that information. Yeah. Um, I think it's better to sort of have been slowly eased into the pot uh, rather than ha- like, I, I'm glad that I didn't know. I'm glad sure, I wanted yeah. so badly. <laughs> like I wanted, I wanted nothing more than to know. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, Oh, thank God. I didn't know I would have lost my mind. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, think about it. Like if we knew for an absolute f- certainty that literally a whole year from then we'd still be like in quarantine, basically it'd be like, are you kidding me? Like I have to, now I have to live through this year knowing that. Yeah, cool. I'm going to go crawl in bed and never come out. Thank you so much. Yeah. (laughs) But But yeah, there is hope. It turned out, yeah, and it turned out to be a pretty different year than I was expecting, uh, which just goes to show reality and what your projection of reality is are rarely one and the same. Mm, Yeah, this, um, 
this new album of yours was it uh it was born sort of out of the this start of this time anyway wasn't it yeah it's weird yeah. um i'm in the same place on the same couch in the same house <laughs> i just have a record now now <laughs> yeah isn't that strange it's the rollout must be so different with this all going on it kind of it must feel different oh it feels crazy it's really weird i mean everyone's doing a really great job i think of sort of trying to completely remake the music industry essentially overnight um mm -hmm. i'm i've been amazed at what um people have been able to come up with uh in light of something that it you know at first glance seemed to be like completely hopeless um i have had more opportunities to engage with music and creating things and sharing things than I would have ever predicted. So that's really nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's odd. It's definitely a really weird time to be releasing a record, although <laughs> maybe not quite as weird as this time last year. <laughs> sure. I know the people who had their records for early spring and did not um, delay them. That must've been like even weirder. I don't know. Yeah. But we all need music all of the time. So it's I'm grateful for, for them. And we're I'm grateful for you guys. Yeah, I mean, we're people, people, music listeners are grateful that, you know, it didn't just all stop. I mean, there are people who delayed and, you know, I can understand maybe the mentality behind putting off the release of something. But at the, on the other side, as you say, like, we need it anyway. And I think we maybe needed it more, you know, mm -hmm. this past mm -hmm. year. So. Oh, grateful. I know for a fact that I needed it more, which is actually, you know, one of the takeaways that I'm grateful for. Um, coming away from this year is, you know, I think I, I've struggled a lot with, you know, music is the thing that I've been drawn to for my whole life. It's, it's the only thing I care about this much. And it's the only thing that I'm any good at. So, <laughs> um, it's never really been much of a question for me, but there's always been this weird friction or like underlying shame that I've chosen to do something that I I've considered to be so self-serving um mm -hmm. and like so concerned with my own like ego and outward facing appearance in the world but um but this year when i was really really deeply in the shit um and just contending with a new levels of alienation and isolation and sadness and grief um i discovered how truly and utterly necessary music can be and it was just one of those things where it was such an indispensable comfort to me at such a difficult time in my life that it it kind of breathed new life into the old cliche that like, oh, music is healing or like it helps you get through the hard time. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, no, I get it. Like it, there was this like new urgency behind that where I was like, oh, the thing that I do actually is valuable to people other than me. <laughs> and yeah. like, not everybody. And that's okay. But like, for the people who find it and who connect with it, like it actually is important. I've been thinking of it as this like trivial, you know, vain pursuit. And um, I don't know, I guess that's one of the things about this year that's been kind of nice is, is like reconnecting with what a primal source of joy and comfort music can really be. Yeah. And, and turning something that you had maybe written off even though you love doing it had written off as a as a vain pursuit as you say it kind of turned that into something so the opposite you yeah. know like something so generous as opposed to, and not to say like oh you you know your shit's so hot like you know everyone needs <laughs> to hear it but yeah. like not not in an arrogant way but like more of a wow okay so I find myself enjoying 
all of this music right now and it's really important to me so maybe what i'm doing is what they're doing you know it is kind of giving mm -hmm. people something to hold on to yeah and it's completing the loop you know if i were to be sitting mm -hmm. around in my house all day making music and then sharing it with no one that would be pretty self-serving mm -hmm. um so you know offering it up to people is part of the completion of that cycle and it's not to say that i don't have there aren't some struggles or difficulties in the process of offering it up to people and sharing it with the world and opening myself to the world and making myself vulnerable. I definitely do. But, um, but it just seems to be like built into the, to the contract, the universal contract that was handed down to me, you know, <laughs> where it's like, all right, you know? Um, yeah. Not to say, not to say that I think that again, like that it's not about making the best or most important thing. It's about sort of contributing to, that sort of grand tapestry of human expression and experience and emotion in whatever small way that I, you know, have the honor and the privilege to do. Yeah. And, and so, and this ends up being kind of the almost coincidentally perfect time for a new solo record. Then it's kind of like, like you say, completing the loop and like what better time than when you yeah. have spent a year sort of like rediscovering what music really means to you and what it might mean to others. Gosh, if I had my way, <laughs> I would, I feel like the album a year, one album per year uh, cycle is such a, that's such a, I mean, maybe it's not always possible, but I feel like I would love to base my life around that. Yeah. It's like just, if touring could stop, like if touring didn't yeah. have to happen, like I know you yeah. like touring sometimes, but if touring mm -hmm. didn't have to happen and you could just kind of keep making and giving, yes. like there is something really appealing to that. Well, because it's like the, the, the process of making the thing is it like, it's the best part. Mm -hmm. And I always, it's so funny because I like, I always forget, like I, every, I put out so many records at this point in my life and I somehow still lose sight of the, the reality where I go into it with this expectation to have the same experience releasing the thing that I had in creating the thing, like to find the same sort of like that, like really essential kind of like excitement and joy and connection um, and inspiration. And it's not it. It's like, it's cool in its own way. It's like, it feels good. It feels nice when people tell you you did a good job. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, but like, it's not it. Yeah. And, and then it's almost instantly when that process starts, I'm just like, Oh, right. I keep expecting this to be more than it is and it's not. Um, and so, yeah, if, I mean, I honestly think it'd be much healthier and sort of like more in keeping with the natural cycles of nature in the universe to sort of like, you know, I, I live a year of my life. I report back on <laughs> what I've learned and yeah. I offer it up to you. And then I go back to the drawing board. You know, I would yeah. love for that to be the way of it. Unfortunately, capitalism. <laughs> yeah you must you know do the rollouts and do the singles and the touring mm -hmm. and all the stuff yeah. in between and then by the time touring is over you probably need a break and so what's that yeah what's a break <laughs> <laughs> just um, kidding are you someone who's like always writing though like are you always writing even if you're not recording it yes absolutely mm -hmm. I mean I I'm not always writing successfully. <laughs> sure. Well, sure. No, who who is honestly? If, yeah. if, if you are, I mean, that's more power to you. But no, I don't I'm not always that. writing successfully, and I'm not always writing well. But mm -hmm. I think that, like, I if I'm if I'm like awake to my life, if I'm going through the motions of living, and and being as present as I possibly can, 
with my own experience. Generally speaking, two or three times a day, I'll have an idea for some words or a turn of phrase or something to just jot down. And it's honestly as simple as that. It's like as simple as just making it a point to keep track of the ideas that you have as they occur to you. Um, and I usually try and carve out at least a little bit of time to actually like put words and music together. Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't always happen, but I feel like I'm always taking notes, you know, like I'm always collecting. Um, and, and then when I find myself in a situation where I'm feeling particularly inspired or connecting with something on a musical level, I have all these notes. I have all these ideas that, you know, I can usually like expand upon and run with. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And then you can kind of go back later and pick your favorite parts and combine them. And yeah, there's that. a lot of, there's a lot of editing involved for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking now talking about trying to keep the writing muscle going and also that desire to, to keep releasing stuff, even when we can't it reminded me of um, when Jens Lechman did one song per week for the whole year oh, yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah. those kinds of challenges, like, I think he did it with the knowledge that they wouldn't all be good, but there is kind of a niceness to that. Right. It's like, you got to keep doing it. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like exercise. You just have to keep doing it. It is a practice. I a mean, practice. And it's that's like, a better word. Yeah. yeah. It is, it is my practice. It is like my most important practice. And it's right. funny, even knowing that how easy it is to lose sight of that. Um, and it's funny you brought, bring up that song week thing, because actually two of the songs of my record were, um, written in the, in a, um, I haven't mentioned this yet in any interviews or anything, cause it doesn't seem particularly relevant, but, <laughs> um, but they're written in a, a, a song a day club. Um, it's oh, fun. They're a bunch of, it's, you know, it's a super secret club of cool singers and songwriters and musicians yeah, we won't mention and creative people. <laughs> um, I can't, I, I can't, I'm bound by secrecy, but, right. um, uh, but yeah, it's just a crew who occasionally from time to time, um, commits collectively to doing a song a day project. And at that point, at the beginning of April, I believe this one was of 2020, I was a miserable wreck of a person and I needed something to throw myself into. And so I committed to a song a day project and, you know, of the seven days that I wrote songs, two of the songs from that week are now on my record. <laughs> it's funny um, how that happens. Yeah. And five of them are on a hard drive never to be seen or heard by anyone <laughs> and that's great you know it's great it's like that's sort of you're, you're playing the numbers game against yourself if you do it enough you know you're gonna get some good things out sure of course you are um or i mean it, you hope you are because like it's kind of if you take 50 shots you know a couple of them have to be decent um, ideally yeah <laughs> ideally and you mentioned yeah. they're on you mentioned the the spares are on a hard drive are you someone who like doesn't delete stuff even if you don't like it oh i'm a i am so i don't delete things very often but i'm really 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 disorganized when it comes <laughs> to like keeping track of things like um i just don't care i don't know I, i'm not a yeah. great record keeper and um my bandmate in Wyoke, um we are uh, coming up on the 10th anniversary of a record we made together and he was digging through. I mean, he has the hard drives from 10, 15 years ago. Mm. And I'm like, man, I'm glad that I'm in a man with you because <laughs> I have no idea where 
anything is from two years ago. I couldn't tell you where the masters from my record now are. Yeah, like, <laughs> like who has them? Where are they? <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. That's so funny. I always am a kind of a, like low-key amazed when bands are like, oh, here's a B-Sides collection. These songs are from 30 years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, why? I'm... I mean, I could never fathom just because I know myself. I know I wouldn't still have that. Yeah. Well, and I think some people are really good at like documenting and, and that's cool. Mm. Um, and I am kind of just like, well, there's, there will always be another song. So yeah. they're not all like treasures. Like, you know, let's just keep it moving. I, and I tend to prioritize in general with my brain, the way my brain works, I tend to prioritize the new. Uh, because I think it's all about like wanting to inhabit whatever experience I'm having at the moment. And so much of promoting music in the world has to do with pretending that you're inhabiting an experience that mm. is is old is no longer actually yeah. relevant to your present yeah, i mean you wrote most of these songs a year ago i mean that's a while mm -hmm. ago but not by the not in the standards of record making it's actually quite recent like it's true. kind of unheard that's of true. <laughs> it's kind of unheard of to have have a record in hand less than a year after i wrote mm. the last song. like the last song in this record that i wrote was in june and we made the record in july you know, and now so it's like, coming out in April. Yeah, and I have it. I'm holding it right now. I'm looking at it. So it's like, <laughs> that's unheard of. And usually it's, you know, and that's the way I would prefer it to be because, you know, the further away you get from it, the more it dissolves, yeah. um, more your connection to it dissolves. And, and the more it becomes for someone else and not necessarily for you, which is also a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, those are two definite experiences that both kind of end up coexisting with mm -hmm. the record. Um, you mentioned you're coming on 10 years. Is that civilian? Correct. Yeah. Wow. I know. <laughs> Pretty that's, bananas, that's right? That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Because like, I remember, I don't remember it coming out, but I remember listening to it a lot. And that, if it came out in 2011, I mean, Dude, I, was I, like a, I was like a freshman in college. That's super weird. <laughs> well, <laughs> so was I. <laughs> Time is so strange. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a nightmare in many ways to think back on, I mean, and I say this in the most compassionate way possible, but think back on what an absolute fucking idiot I was <laughs> and then be like, and look, all of those things that I made, mm -hmm. this like, this like flawed, strange, Im barely emerged, half-baked version of myself you can still find them they're still it's all out there like it's kind of just like it's all about it forces you to do a thing that I think a lot of people struggle with and myself included which is to just try and make as much peace as you can with the former versions of yourself um it's something I'm still really struggling with like uh trying to trying to love and be compassionate towards the parts of myself that I no longer identify with or mm -hmm. um, connect with in any way. Uh, it's really hard to do. So yeah, it's pretty I mean, embarrassing. Years. Yeah. Even 10 yeah. years. I mean, so much transition happens in 10 years. And I mean, saying it feels wild that civilian is 10 years old. It feels both like it was two years ago and like 40 years ago, because mm -hmm. I feel like you've lived like a thousand lives since then. And like, well, I you've just, You've had so many, you've had a few Yoke albums, you had now two solo albums, you've contributed to a bunch of albums. Like, it just feels like there's there's been so much since then, but it also has been such a little snippet of time. 
Yeah. I mean, I think I probably have more to show for myself just, uh, uh, you know, than probably most people because I'm such a workaholic and because I feel so, or I have been in the past, I'll say I'm a recovering workaholic because I, <laughs> I write so much that I like to have as many different outlets as I can. Um, but I, I don't really believe more and more. I feel, I feel less convinced that time is something that can be actually quantified. Um, you know, I really do feel the relativity of time in a way that I didn't used to, mm-hmm. um, especially this year and noticing the ways that you can kind of lean into it or away from it to speed it up and slow it down and, and having enough unbroken time in one place to really experiment with what that feels like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, some of the busiest years of my life have felt like some of the longest in a way and um this year felt long it felt like a lifetime you know in some ways but in other ways it's like it was the blink of an eye yeah seriously it's it's very strange how it's speeding up and slowing down and compressing and stretching out at this all the same time yeah i really i believe that that is true i believe Mm -hmm. that and I, i think that we can tap into that um somehow in our brains because I can I know that I can I found myself in in accessing different parts of my brain um or different kind ways of consciousness I felt I felt it move I felt it speed up or slow down or sometimes you know stop Mm. so it's it's fascinating um it's really weird I don't understand it but I do love it um so moving to your new record that we've hinted at uh head of roses which I think by the time this is out the record will be out. I believe this is going up the week after. So cool. people will hopefully have heard it. Um, I've heard it. It's very, very good. I'm so happy that you're releasing another Flock of Dimes record. It's been quite a while um, since the first Flock of Dimes record. I think about five years. Speaking of time, f- about five years yeah, ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Were you, was there always an intention to come back to Flock of Dimes or did this album end up kind of surprising you? It did. Um, I or I, I did intend to come back to it and it did take a long time. Uh, the first record kind of knocked me out, honestly. Mm. I, I, um, I went into it, I was in a really different place in my life on a number of levels. And I, I felt, I think I felt a little embittered and I think I felt like I had some things to prove. I think I felt um, as though I had to do everything myself in order to um, to get the awareness, like the credit for parts of my artistry that have been always been a part of what I do, but that people generally overlook in favor of some other things. So mm-hmm. like, or, or even just like, you know, if you make music in a two person band with a man and you're a woman, people are going to, uh, assume that, you know, they're not going to call you what you do producing, you know, they're going to, they're going to give credit in ways without even realizing it. Sometimes they're going to make assumptions about who's responsible for what in a gendered capacity. Um, and you know, my collaboration with Andy and my relations music in general has always been so, um, rooted in experimentation in a number of different fronts and with, you know, as many different sounds and instruments and, um, and textures and ideas as I possibly can. Um, and it's frustrating 
to sort of be like backed into a corner and pigeonholed a little bit um, as a result of assumptions that people make about you and what women can do. And, um, and so I think I had this idea going into that record that I would, if I did a record where I just like did everything, I was like, I'm going to play the drums and I'm going to produce it. And I'm going to play all the instruments and I'm going to do all this. If I did that, um, then maybe people would notice and be like, oh, look at all the things she can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that, now that I look back on it, it also has to do with like, sadly, proving my worth to myself and feeling like no, like I was never able to just rest and consider myself and what I was doing and what I was capable of, of being enough. Um which I think is a fog that I'm only just now starting to come out of. Like I'm just finally surfacing from that exhausting self-flagellating process of Mm -hmm. just never feeling like anything I did could ever be good enough. And that I had to be the best at every single thing. Um, Turns out that's a pretty exhausting way to make a record. Yeah, And I don't even think it's necessarily, um, produces the best results. You know, I think collaborating and delegating to people who have specializations and, and talents that you do not share is like a big part of making something that's like dynamic and living and breathing. And so, um, you know, I love that record. I'm really proud of the songs on it. I'm really proud of the way I rose to that occasion. Um, but at the same time, I'll never make a record like that again. Like, yeah. um, whereas this record, I feel like I'm a little bit more, I've learned to accept myself a little bit more, um, including some of my limitations. Um, and so it felt easier to let other people. I mean, even though like the vast majority of the stuff on the record is still me, it's, it felt a lot easier to let other people in on the process. Yeah, it's a much more collaborative record. I mean, obviously, I, I actually wasn't aware that um, If You See Me Say Yes was pretty much entirely solo. But yeah, this one is very much not solo. I mean, you have a lot of, um, I'm guessing, friends on the record, you know, people like Nick Sanborn and Meg Duffy and Andy's on there. Um, who plays cello, by the way? Like, who knew? I didn't. He just picked it up. He, he's been doing that. <laughs> Well, he has, he went to school for, for upright bass. So he was able to like, it's just, okay. school, you know, they're not, um, they're not too far off. Yeah. But he does that a lot. He kind of, he just kind of picks things up and runs with them. Yeah. I saw that credit. I was like, Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> I will. I mean, yeah. side, side note, I will say I, I did, I saw you guys one time as Y Oak and I was kind of amazed at what he can do with like one hand. Oh, like, Andy's bonkers talented. I'm was, very like I had no idea he was like you know playing keyboards and drumming, and I was like, oh, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, he's he's bonkers talented, and like, um, he's I'm so lucky to have him as a collaborator, and we've been doing this for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean he he's always growing and and evolving and improving and all the instruments he plays and he's one of the only instruments instrumentalists that I really trust um as much as I trust myself which sounds like a really egotistical thing to say because <laughs> it's not necessarily about ability obviously there are a billion musicians who are so much better at all the instruments I play than I am it's more about I guess t- touch and feel and taste mm-hmm. um which I mean that in the musical capacity not necessarily in the like sensory capacity um I just feel like we're our our aesthetic goals and visions are kind of also in sync and aligned from so much time 
working together. And, um, and so I feel, um, when I work with him, I feel very confident that I can communicate what I want and he can execute it as yeah. well as I could. Mm. So you specifically wanted to make an, this album with people, right? You did, you specifically didn't want to make it alone. Oh yes. For a multitude of reasons, because it, I, I mean, I, that was an intention that I had after finishing the first record for sure. Um, but also because I was lonely. Oh my mm. goodness. I was so lonely. I was living alone, I, going through a breakup, living alone in a global pandemic. I wanted to get some people in the studio with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. I was, it, yeah. So, I mean, and it, like, I think I, I care almost as much about the experience of creating the thing, being joyful and positive for everyone involved as I care about the result. Mm. Because I, I do care very, very much about the record and what it is and, and like how it communicates the thing that I want to communicate. But I really, there's more to this process than just, it's not just product based it's the experience of it's your life it's my life you know it's mm -hmm. like what it feels like to be me and being in the studio working on a thing is the time in my life when I feel the most alive and the most myself and the most at ease and confident and just like and it's not always easy but like that that is a moment where I just feel like every box on my checklist of needs is checked. If I'm with people that I love making a thing that I care about, I am good. <laughs> like I'm just happy. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. It's the happiest I get. Um, and so, you know, I wanted it to be a meaningful experience in addition to, I, you know, I wanted to make the best record possible, but, but I didn't want it to be a miserable slog because the whole spring to that point had been a miserable slog. So I wanted to create some lightness for us. Yeah. And if you're creating with these people that you actually want around you and you value their input, that's intrinsically going to change what the record could have been because it could have been just you and it could have been maybe much more pared back or much slower or maybe even sadder. I don't know. But then with these people alongside you, it, it, it inherently changes it. Mm -hmm. it it's does. the whole process. Yeah. And the energy of other human beings in a room right. and the, their ideas and the ways that they, the, the way that they play, the way that they sing, that they speak. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's the difference between having to generate an idea in a vacuum versus having something to respond to, mm. you know, like having, it's so much easier to be creative when you're responding to something that's already there. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, that's why collaboration is such a beautiful and special thing. So, so aside from collaborating, then what were some of the like driving inspirations or forces behind these songs? Well, I was very sad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, simple, simply a simple answer. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, so like the the elevator pitch for this record is you know the the unique experience of sitting with and unpacking and contending with grief and trauma and loss. And having to reckon with the reality that although you may be in a situation where someone is causing you a lot of pain, 
through their behavior, through their choices, or what have you, that you are also the source of that pain for someone else. And so in that situation, it's to be very specific about it. You know, I was in a situation where I had left a relationship to enter a new one, and then that one ended. And so, you know, when you're in pain, when you're being hurt, when you're heartbroken, and there's this like feeling of, of grief, it's like one of the worst things a person can go through. And, um, and it, for me at that moment, you know, it, I think it, it would have been very easy to construct a narrative around what was unfolding to protect myself from the things about myself that I was uncomfortable with or didn't want to see. But that's sort of impossible to do when you're contending with the reality that like in this moment you are, you are not only the recipient, but you are also the source. And holding that duality is harder and more painful than creating a narrative that just protects you and protects your heart and makes you, paints you however you need to see yourself as the victim or, you know, whatever it is, but like, but it's the truth. And it's something that I think it started as this little, this little gem of an idea or of a realization as I'm trying to sort of like heal these two simultaneous areas of grief in my life. Um, and trying to do so with compassion to myself and trying to have compassion for, you know, as I'm trying to have compassion for myself, I thus have to cultivate that same compassion for the other people in the situation, for people who, are, who I may be being hurt by. Um, so it started out as this little thing that was, it was applicable in this like immediate situation of my life. But then as the year unfolded, it sort of started to expand in this way that, um, you know, I realized that there was a lot of pain and suffering and trauma that I had been running from in my life that I had created a lot of, I created barriers around myself and around my heart in, in a number of ways. Um, and as some of us started to come down as a result of this like confluence of um, both you know, this, this personal situation, this heartbreak, and then this global situation, like the, the, the collective trauma that we're all experiencing together simultaneously. Um, you know, I started to think about the systems that cause all of us pain and cause all of us to suffer to varying degrees and how important it is to begin the process of healing one's own trauma in order to have compassion for the suffering of others. Mm -hmm. And an example of that, a perfect example of what I mean by that is, you know, a system like capitalism, which I think, you know, it wounds us all, it hurts us all, but, you know, so it, I'm, I am hurt by this system, but I also participate in it and through participating in it cause harm to others um and i benefit from it because i'm a white person you know so like there's this i think a lot of people struggle with the duality of suffering and and they're so consumed by their own pain 
that it's hard for them to have compassion for the pain of others. It's hard for them to hold those two realities at once. Mm-hmm. But the more work you can do on healing yourself, the more space you can create around um, being able to hold space for suffering that is not yours and the role that you play in maybe upholding some of those systems like patriarchy or like white supremacy, you know, like there's, there's a way to hold it all, but, but there's, it's impossible to do unless you are able to be exceptionally compassionate with yourself and to start by start with yourself, to start by addressing your own trauma and the things that are keeping you from uh, moving towards a collective global healing, which I think is what at this, this moment is, um, kind of calling us all to do. Um, so yeah, you really opened a real, um, can of worms with that answer. (laughs) I appreciate the worms. Don't worry. Uh, uh, (laughs) But it's funny you mentioned all that because I, I have not, I've never actually done this with like prep for an interview, but I actually plucked out a lyric from the album that stuck out to me, which was I'm paying attention now. Mm-hmm. from one more hour which um yeah is only a single line but there I don't know there is something to it and I was going to ask you what you're paying attention to and what that really means and I feel like you kind of just told me well yeah and also this is the thing that about brains is that like we think we're choosing what to pay attention to but we're if, if we're on autopilot like if we're in survival mode we are not choosing right. our you know our brain is choosing for us and it's choosing to pay attention to the things that make us feel better because that's what brains do, you know? Of course. Yeah. And, and that's understandable. And that doesn't mean like we're evil or bad or wrong. It just means that we haven't stopped and slowed down enough to start to notice the source of our behavior. And I include myself, like the last thing I want to do is come off as like some like fully healed, like, trauma expert like I'm like this is stuff that I'm still contending with in my life in real time I'm I do not have this shit figured out and I'm only just beginning to like pull these threads but um but it still feels important to talk about because I feel like I really do feel like it's all connected and I really do feel like I've been able to create more space in my life only through starting from with this bottom up approach rather than a top down, rather than a, like, how do we fix the world? Right. How do we make people understand each other? How do we talk to, you know, it's like, start, you got to start from within. And it's a, it's so simple as to be like a ridiculous cliche, but like, I really, I really believe it because I feel like I, I'm like, I'm feeling the proof of it in my own life. Sure. No. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there are problems at the top that trickle down, but like we who are not the ones at the quote unquote top, we have our own issues that are rising up. And as you're kind of saying, like, we need to work on those before we can address these larger scale issues, because otherwise we're not going to be able to address those larger scale issues. Well, not in a sustainable way. I mean, I think right. it can be all done at once, but I think, you know, there's this, there's a thing that people talk about a lot in like work in activism uh, around any number of things. Um, but like burnout is a real thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's like, it's really easy to come in guns blazing and be like, all right, like I'm a well-intentioned white person and I'm ready to show up and like figure this shit out. So let's fix it. Right. And like, um, and just not t- stop and take the time to be like, okay, who's already doing this work? Like, how can I pay attention to them? How can I 
genuinely contribute in a way that's not just about me and my own ego and how can I take care of myself and like, you know, like how can I process the immense amounts of like grief and shame that are going to come up inevitably because if I don't process them on my own and figure out how to work through them and discharge them, then they're going to become someone else's problem. And, or they're going to, I'm going to exhaust myself and I'm not going to like physically, emotionally, psychologically be able to continue. So like, it really does like, you know, it's no one's fault that we live in a wildly fucked up and like traumatic world but like we are all responsible for kind of meeting the moment wherever we are Mm -hmm. and i think there's no way to do that work sustainably if you are not starting with your own heart and mind and nervous system and body you know like that's it's just got to be done yeah i think that's fair yeah Um, so okay so that's lyrically and conceptually but what about um sonically so I, I when i was listening to it i noticed quite um a level of contrast sort of like some really synthetic songs like two or even one more hour with the with the kind of lo-fi beat um and then more spare tracks like lightning or the title track um how do you end up deciding on a sonic sound palette for your album is it sort of just like an organic process where you kind of just find the best fit for a song well um with this record in particular we had Nick and I kind of had this intention going into it because I think I'm a person who's really had this tendency to sonically shapeshift a lot mm-hmm. um, because I've drawn, I'm drawn to a lot of, I don't only listen to one kind of music. And so I of course feel often feel drawn to make all sorts of different kinds of music or try my hand at it at the very least. Um, and I also think it's sort of like those kinds of surface level aesthetics are kind of like fun costumes you get to try on, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, I've always had that be a pretty big element of how I work and how I write creatively. Um, And, um, but I think that sometimes it makes it hard to know where to put me or like put (laughs) to like put my work um, to like, kind of like what umbrella that I get under, I get placed under. Um, And with this record, we sort of had this intention of, creating something that was able to sort of represent all the many sides of uh, my various musical personalities, but in a way that still hung together and sounded as cohesive as possible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the record is, the songs are pretty wildly different from one another. You know, it's a little all over the map. Um, And, but I tried to sort of like keep this resonant thread um, that made them sound as though they were of a piece, even though, you know, there are some songs that are just like these fully fleshed out, really dense orchestrations. And there, there's some songs that's just guitar and voice and, you know, there's, they're kind of all over the place. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's an intuitive thing, honestly. It's hard to say, like, it's hard to quantify it in, in literal terms because I think you just sort of like, you hear it and you know, and there were certainly a handful of songs that we worked on in this um, in this session that didn't end up making the final cut just because they didn't feel they didn't feel like they were like hung together in the same way as these these ten songs did. Hmm. So when you have this kind of varied track list of songs that you're trying to string together, 
do you, because I know I would, do you like obsess over the sequencing when they're all ready? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I yeah. would be, I'd be endlessly switching them around. I know I would. Yeah, yeah, no, I was. Um, there was a big argument, not an argument, but there was a camp um, that wanted the sequencing to be very different than it is. And then there was a camp that wanted it to be what, what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cool thing is that there's not a right or wrong way of course, both yeah. of the sequences that we, both of the like pitched sequences were really good. Um, they did a very different thing. And so at, at the end of the day, it just becomes about making a choice. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think it, it would still be a really cool record if it had been another way, but at the end, like a certain point, you just kind of have to like make a decision, you know, <laughs> it yeah. is hard though. It's definitely yeah. really difficult. Yeah. I would imagine. Um, so the last song, which I would think would be the last song probably in both of those sequences, because it feels like <laughs> such a closer to me. Yeah, um, you're right about that. The last song, Head of Roses, the title track. Why is that the title track? What is it about that song? And the the specific line, or one of the lines it comes from, um, Free of the World, Head of Roses, Leave Me to Learn, Love is Time. Mm, what is mm-hmm. it about those phrases and that song that you felt was the one to select for the title track? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so go on, real quick, going back to what you were saying about sequences, I mm. um, I do have this thing where I can tell when I write a song, like if I'm in the process of kind of collecting songs, um, I knew that the first track of the record was the first track when I wrote it. And I knew that Head of Roses would be the last track mm-hmm. before any other tracks in the record existed. No, I, <laughs> um, I get that. Some things just feel that way. Yes. And so I was like, well, I know this is the last track on my, whatever my new record becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it's going to be. It doesn't exist yet. Um, but that song was a real freaky experience to write because, um, and this doesn't happen often and it doesn't happen in as potent a way as it did with this one. But um, I was in a really intensely emotional headspace and I had, um I kind of just entered this weird trance and I I was playing piano and I just started playing this song and singing it like it was already a song Mm. that I knew, um, though I didn't. And so the words just kind of came out fully formed with very lip. I mean, it was very odd. Uh, (laughs) uh, And I don't, you know, I definitely have the thing where I like, can freestyle sounds and you know a lot of people do that or they're like you're sort of like coming up with vowel sounds and you're trying different things i can do that this was different this was like the song mm. like fully formed and it was very odd and so that was happening and i got to the you know free of the world head of roses it just came out i wrote it all down i recorded it basically immediately um and then I didn't really think about what it meant. It just sort of felt kind of catchy. You know, it felt like, right, it came, it was how it came out. So, um, and then as the album was shaping up and I was starting to think about some of these themes that we had, were just talking about and I, you know, the duality of it, you know, the duality of like being the recipient of suffering and the source of suffering and like having to hold that, that complex truth in in one place and sit with it and like it occurred to me that like 
bed of roses, like, you know, the like sort of thing that people always say about roses, right. Is like, you know, it's this beautiful blossom and it's covered in thorns. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, look at that. <laughs> yeah. It's like one of those things where your brain sometimes knows better than you do. Um, or your subconscious or or I don't fucking know because I don't really know where that song came yeah. from. It, you could if you're a spiritual person, you could say that it was handed down to me. And if you're not, you could say that my subconscious came up with it and just kind of knew already. But um, yeah, regardless, it was um, it was a really spooky thing and in a beautiful way, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and but yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, that's, and then love is time. I mean, goodness, I, <laughs> it, could that be, I, this was, this was one of the few songs from the record that was actually written, was written post breakup, but it was written pre pandemic. Um, mm. and, uh, just barely. And, um, if I recall correctly at this point, it's all blur. Goodness. I'm trying to tell you the <laughs> right. truth. I'm trying to tell you the truth, but I may be fudging some details because my That's memory right. is poor. It's because I have a poor memory and not because I'm trying to lie to you, but, um, I believe you. Yeah. But yeah, so I wrote, <clears throat> I wrote it and, um, you know, so much of this year has been about learning patience, for me, mm. you know, and instead of trying to, force your way to the bottom of the situation and make sense of it and be like i don't understand why i can't make this thing work like why can't i just say the right combination of words and then maybe this person who is fundamentally on a different in a different place than i am maybe we'll understand each other if i just you know and like sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have to like put it down step away and the, the most loving thing you can do is just be like give it the time and the space that it needs to resolve itself Yeah, to stop holding on to it. So with such a death grip and just let, let it be what it is. Um, so, you know, those are all things that I came, that came out of my mouth when I wrote that song long before any of the actual ideas had occurred to my like conscious brain, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, pretty weird (laughs) so that song just has a sort of like resonance with you and and sort of importance that it felt like it had to be the title track oh it absolutely I knew it when I wrote it that it was I knew it I knew that it was and I knew that it would be the last track but Mm. I didn't know what it meant because I hadn't lived it I hadn't lived it yet it like predicted it predicted some things in my life that hadn't happened yet (laughs) (laughs) i know it's so weird and i guess you could say if you're not a kind of person that likes to believe in that sort of thing which i haven't always been i would say that i am now but i wasn't always if you're not that kind of person you know there's it's vague enough but yeah sure you could be like it's a you know it's your subconscious and it's easy to draw lines and make connections mm-hmm. after the fact to tell yourself any kind of story you want to hear. But at the same time, I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. I'm looking now at the lyric sheet that the first line of the record is how can I explain myself? Yeah. And then the last, <laughs> the last line is love is time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And there it is. <laughs> those are my opening and closing lines. I rest your, my case. That's, those are your arguments. Yeah. <laughs> I rest. I rest my case. <laughs> the defense rests. Yeah. Um, 
So you did, we mentioned Nick Sanborn as a collaborator, but he was also a co-producer of this record. Um, oh, yes. Obviously, Nick was... for, for those who don't Sorry. know, Nick Sanborn is uh, half of Sylvanesso and very involved with the music scene in North Carolina that has been quite um, burgeoning these years. Mm -hmm. um, do you know, sidebar, do you know why? Like, why is North Carolina like such a, a beacon these days? Um, I think that people who are artists are often drawn to places where it's easy to live mm. <laughs> because, because I mean, not all artists, I shouldn't say, um, there are plenty of people who really want to go to like the hardest place to make it and go there. Um, but I think there's another, there's another brand, there's another type, uh, another strain of artists that, um, that just wants to make their work and, and live as easy life as possible. Yeah. <laughs> That and makes I, sense. I'm one of those. And it's like, it's a beautiful place to live. It's cheaper than a lot of places. And um, this is the Durham area? Yeah, it's like, we call the Triangle. You know, okay. it's like Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. I live in a Chapel little Chapel Hill, called, right. Okay. Called Carborough, which is on the fringes. Oh, is that like Eric um, Bachman, Carborough woman? Yeah, <laughs> I assume so. <laughs> I never assume, never I mind. <laughs> he must, he, I am literally a Carborough woman. That is what I, what I mm. currently am. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, never, but yeah, so um, I, I, there's that, you know, and it's just like, there's still community here. There's still things happening. There's still great food. There's still great music. You don't really have to like sacrifice the amenities of a larger city, but you don't have to live like I'm a kind of person that I, I have a lot of just ambient anxiety, like kicking around in my brain all the oh, time. Me too, for sure. <laughs> and so like, I don't, I didn't realize like living in a city my whole life, I lived in Baltimore my whole life. And then like, I didn't realize how much relief I would get from that just general sense of ambient mm -hmm. anxiety from just like living in a place that has nature in it. Yeah, um, I feel like the <clears throat> South gets such a, obviously a bad rap but it is interesting that there have been some little pockets of a real increase in artists and artists residing in different areas of the south in the past like five or ten years i think it's a wonderful place to live and make art i'm very happy here. yeah it sounds i mean it always sounds beautiful when i read about mm -hmm. the people mm -hmm. out there i mean there's so there's you guys there's um Sylvanesso, there's Angel Olsen. I think Moses Sumney is out there now. Mm -hmm. So it's like this mm -hmm. just it's like this just growing group of artists. And I feel like it's becoming hopefully not too much because it might lose some of its appeal. But it does well, I mean, feel I... like it's becoming some kind of mecca of these like just very these artists who really like being in the natural world. I think there's also something to be said for being able to escape from mm -hmm. the hotbeds. Like I love going to LA and like being able to dip in. And I also <laughs> love not living there. I, lo I also love like being able to get, I think it's good. It's good for the, to keep your ego in check. You sure. know, like, I think it's good to keep some kind of sense of separation from um, the person you are when you're um, promoting yourself and your work to the world and the person you are when you're, at home taking a walk with a couple close friends or yeah you know kicking around or making some making some food in the kitchen you know it's like i think it's like there's a it's an importance to holding on to that sense of self that exists not just self but self-worth that exists outside the things that you make and the people that you know right and there's also a, a slowness that comes with not being in those those yeah. hubs 
you know, yeah. you just reminded me of how much I like, because I live in Connecticut. So I'm like mm-hmm. a two hour train ride from New York City. And I love going mm-hmm. to New York, but I always say I also love coming home. Yeah, bingo. Like I love thing. when you get when you get back home and you're just like not there anymore and it's quiet yeah. and it's like what I mean, a more, power, more power to you if you can live there and love it. But I know that I would I am like more like what you're saying. Like I would need that sort of stillness. Yeah, we're all different. And that's like a beautiful thing about being human. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all so different. We all have such different needs. I could find myself needing a totally different thing from my living situation someday in the future who knows but right now it's really working for me yeah so back to nick sanborn so he played a lot on this record um i know you've been playing with sylvan so's band with their with shows mm-hmm. um i just watched the with love concert film which was so lovely <laughs> yeah um, it's so fun right it's so beautiful it's so nice also hearing their work with more people because I was so used to for so as so many were for so many years hearing them as a duo. So it, it's been nice seeing like you and Meg Duffy who also plays on this record. Yeah. Um, Meg's on the record too. Yeah. Kind of team up with, with them. And it's been really nice, but what was it like working with him as a co-producer? Oh my gosh. I can't say enough good about Nick just as a, <laughs> as a producer, as a human being, he's just one of my very favorite people. And it seems like most um, people who know him feel that way. He's tremendous. He's yeah. absolutely tremendous. He's he's so smart. He he does this thing. I think that like my, some of a lot of my favorite people strike this balance of being unintimidating and smart and mm-hmm. kind. So you know you can have a really really deep and rewarding conversation with him and be really impressed with the depth of his knowledge and understanding, um, but never feel. Um, intimidated, never feel like uncomfortable. You always feel like he's hearing your perspective. He's got the like <clears throat> musical math brain that makes him really adept, obviously, at, like sort of making all these machines talk to each other, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I can do, but I hate it. And <laughs> I'm bad. I'm not as good at it as Nick. And I am not as patient with the process. So, but he's also got, I think a lot of people who have that um, sort of like more technical ability sometimes aren't as adept at talking about the, like the poetry of music and the Mm -hmm. like underlying, like feeling of it all. Um, and he can do both, um, which I think is a really special skill set to have combined in one person. Um, He's very, very devoted to the things that he is working on. He is a person of, uh, great integrity and he's just a fun hang you know so it's just it's great all around well it kind of goes back to what you're saying like just making this with people you actually enjoyed spending time with is so important yeah and honestly nick and amelia have really have really um cared for me over the years i mean they're a big part of the reason why i ended up moving down here yeah um i'm honestly i've 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 been a little bit of a basket case this year and they've really stepped up and, um, and just really been, um, there for me at a really weird and difficult time. And I'm so grateful to them, not just for the music we've made together, but just for being, being some of the only human beings that I've gotten to see and spend time with this year. (laughs) Yeah, No, I know you're, I mean, as we know, there are plenty of people who didn't even have two people to hang out with. I know. know. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. 
Um, and then also I noticed looking at the credits, Ari Picker mixed this. <laughs> yeah. Who I haven't heard Matthew. his name in a while because Lost in the Trees is now defunct. Yeah, uh, Ari's still here. He's out yeah, here making I was going to say, music. how'd you hook up with him? How's he doing? <laughs> he's a buddy. He's a pal. He's in, the, he's in the scene. He has a crazy new band called Dante High that you should totally check out. It's I nothing will. Like, I didn't know that. It's nothing like Lost in the Trees. And I think you will like it. It's a, it's, it's a, it's like Redneck Future Islands. <laughs> <laughs> well, that um, sounds great. So I will, great. I will definitely check that out. I've Lost never... in the Trees, I loved Lost in the yeah. Trees. Like I, yeah. A Church That Fits Our Needs is one of my favorite records. It's so beautiful. So whenever yeah, I... I do see his name pop up, I'm always so happy. Yeah, Ari's so talented. And he's been doing a lot of production work and mixing work. He's actually mixed um, the last few Y-Oak singles too. Oh, okay. Um, He's kind of our secret weapon out here. Um, <laughs> he's got he's got a little studio out in the sticks, and um, and so uh, yeah, I love working with Ari. He's he's super talented. Um, got a good ear. <laughs> he's got a great he's got a great ear. He's a total hoot. Uh, he did a great job. And then my friend Bella Blasco, who engineered and was a huge part of this record, she also ended up making a couple of the tracks too. So it was kind oh, of okay. a, a team effort. But but that kind of reflects um, even the inception of it i mean this is so yeah. much a team record it is it was is nice. great and i got a good team <laughs> you definitely do have a good team yeah. um are there plans to tour it if the year permits i don't know do you, do you okay different <laughs> question do you even want to tour it i don't know Here, this do you is need the thing. to like is anyone no okay no i don't think i need to and i don't know if i want to <laughs> I'm I'm not fully opposed to the idea, to be honest. Um, but I also like the other day when when my management pitched me the idea initially, I almost had a panic attack. I was like, yeah. so so surprised that because I, I had just sort of taken it off the table. I, I I had not assumed in any capacity that it would be possible, so I hadn't been thinking about it. And you know, if you'd asked me, you know, this time last year, I would have been like, oh, I probably would be so desperate if I hadn't toured in a year. I'd be desperate to get back out and tour. Mm-hmm. But that is not really how I feel. I do want to do it. Um, but I'm, I only, at this point, I feel like I only want to do things that bring, that bring me joy. <laughs> and that yeah, sounds so spoiled. You. That sounds spoiled. But like, and I don't mean that in, in a life sense. I don't mean like, I'm just going to go through life and I'm never going to do anything I don't want to do. I mean, music is, is like a pure and precious thing for me. And I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to sort of carve out this weird career where I work for a lot of different people mm-hmm. and I do a lot of different things. And so my income itself is not um, so reliant on my personal projects. Um, well, that's good. Which is cool. Yeah. But what that means is it makes it a choice instead of an obligation. Yeah, but how nice um, is that? It is. It's the best, but yeah. it's only a choice if I like remember that it's a choice, right? <laughs> like, like if I'm just like, I gotta go do the thing, you know, it's like, okay, remember you're not trapped. Like you get to say no, if you want to say no. And sometimes no is the right answer. You could always um, do like small mini tours, right? I mean, I would love to play some shows and I'm not, I'm certainly not ruling it out. I just right. think the right opportunity would have to present itself. And I'm sort of in more of a quality over quantity mindset these days. Yeah. Yeah. And also maybe we can start, I wonder if we could start a new era of just like records. Oh God. Like the dream, like like how, how, I mean, not, I mean, of course, musicians generally do like touring sometimes, but 
how nice would it be if you could release an album that you really believe in and then just like that's the thing you know yeah like, i wish and then you can kind I of stop wish. and like let it exist and maybe you know a few months later you start making another one instead of like okay i guess i'm gonna go leave my house for 150 days like god i wish i can't tell you how much i wish that was the case because <laughs> even now not touring it's still about the forever quest for precious precious content you know <laughs> and it's not it's like oh cool you made this record and it's not anyone's fault this is just how the business is set up sure because i want to say the people i work with are across the board amazing and exceptional and i'm lucky as hell to work with them all um labels management everyone i love them i have a great team yeah but, we should we should say here that this is your full-length sub hop debut it is my sub which is debut. exciting it is exciting and they're incredible. They've been so cool. Um, and nice. so you want to, you want to do, you know, you want to do a good job. You want, um, as my friend, Jonathan Myberg put it so aptly the other day, when we were talking about this, you want to be the goodest boy, you know, <laughs> you want it. People are working hard on your behalf and you want to put in the time and the effort and make it happen. But you also have this obligation to protect this invisible thing on which the entire thing depends mm -hmm. and that is like <clears throat> the the sense of like joy and and pure ecstatic connection to art making like a, an earnestness around that that isn't hindered by being super jaded and exhausted um yeah. and out of touch with why you started doing it in the first place so um i think it's pretty important um one of the most important realizations of my life honestly being that sometimes I have an obligation to say no to protect that thing and it's not going to be what everyone wants to hear and I have to get over that part of myself that just wants to please every everybody all the time yeah and <clears throat> be like I have to if I do this it's going to wear me down mm -hmm. um and I and you know without without that connection to the creation of the thing itself and the desire to do the work there's no work so it kind of has to start there yeah no you gotta you gotta hang on to that that need and desire to create as opposed to like creating just because someone's telling you to or yeah. you know creating and then going to do yeah. all the other stuff that you don't want to do because then there, like you say there'll be less yeah. work if you if you if you can't do the work it seems yeah. it makes it seems almost like ridiculously simple when you put it that way but unfortunately yeah. it just like isn't that way a lot of the time no and let me tell you it's like there's always going to be another thing to say yes to if mm -hmm. you don't learn the lesson of having to say no you'll just i mean i've done it i know because i've done it you will exhaust yourself you'll drain yourself and you'll lose it and you know that that feeling that like feeling of excitement when you're moving towards something and you're feeling inspired and you're, you're like having this idea and you want to make this thing like that feeling is my favorite feeling in the world. Yeah. And so there's really no amount of money or success or attention that would be worth sacrificing that feeling for me. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a worthy pursuit and I think it's really nice to know that, you know, and to not, yeah find out after the fact the fact that you know it i think is so powerful with that about, said about yourself, i mean yeah totally and with that said you know i've definitely let that kind of creep into the sort of more self-defeating uh territory too because i do think to a certain extent you don't get to choose the world you live in and like you don't get to choose the way the video game that we all play 
as our lives is set up. So like, it's about that striking that balance and like having an understanding of how much you can give and how much, and like where that line has to be drawn. Yeah, you know, totally. I'm doing a lot of shit that I don't want to do <laughs> in service of promoting my record because I'd like to get to keep making records for my we whole life. We would also like you to keep making records. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I do hope that you're at a point where you don't feel like, I, you know, I just said, we hope you keep making records, but it's not like we're all no, like, no. you better make records. <laughs> oh, I'm always going to make records. Like the question is whether anyone's going to like put it out. You know what I mean? Like that's what right, I mean. Right, right. I will always make records no matter what, because it's the only thing I know how to do. And I love it. It's my favorite right. thing in the world. And it's how I like understand and process like my experience in the world. So that's no question. It's more just like getting to do it as a job requires mm-hmm. a certain amount of flexibility and compromise. And it's not always pleasant because it's like, you have to fit yourself into this system of capitalism that is inherently amoral and shitty and so it's like, it's always going to feel a little weird, right. but I guess like the option, the other option being to just what, take yourself out, like not do anything, not make anything, not release anything, that you know, there's no any better. No. And you can't be, there's no way to be morally pure in, in a, in a flawed, uh, world, you know, it's like, yeah, you the can whole only, world is flawed. You can only try to work within it. Yeah. You work within it. You do the best that you can and you try to do everything you can to like I don't know, work against the systems that are in place, but like by accepting the reality that we all like right now, this is what the world is. And like, if I want people to hear my music, yeah. then, then this is how it's going to be. And so there's a certain aspect, there's a certain amount of compromise inherent to it. I don't have it all figured out. It's a moving target um, every day, but, um, but yeah, so hmm. I, I will keep making records though. You well, may that's... just have to, Find <laughs> thank you um thank well you. on that note then thank you for saying yes to this of course uh, i really appreciated you taking the time um you know i've been i've been listening to y oak and flock of dimes for a while so and it's been nice seeing you pop up in more people's stuff over the past few years so i was really excited to talk to you um, oh i'm i'm truly honored and honestly this is one of these kinds of things are um some of my favorite things to do because i really i really love to get to have a conversation with another human being especially in this day and age of living alone in my house all the time so i know it's true i know i know i've i've i have i have sincerely loved um getting to talk to everyone for this show because yeah having these sort of rambling conversations like that's what i like to read and listen to you -hmm. know when i'm seeking out the work of people that i like so it's been a great pleasure getting to do them and it's been a real pleasure getting to talk to you today. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you asking me and thanks for thinking of me. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a delight. I, I'm a big podcast person because I like to have voices in my house to keep me from getting too lonely. <laughs> so uh, it's well. nice it's nice to think about me being the voice in someone else's house right? while they're yeah. maybe while they're maybe washing dishes or um, <laughs> cooking dinner or whatever it is they're doing when they're listening to this. That's a nice way to end. <laughs> Thank you, Jen, very much. So the record is called Head of Roses. I believe I'm not going to be lying when I say it's out now. I think it's out now. It's out now on Sub Pop Records. Yes, and go buy it. Go listen to it. It's great. Um, Thank you for talking to me today. It's my pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks for having such a thoughtful chat. And um, maybe I'll see you out in the world someday. Give me a shout if you ever... um, make it to if I ever play a show again and you happen to be there give me a shout <laughs> yeah if you come th- if you or Y Oak or someone comes through Connecticut I know we have um New Haven has an, a slightly new venue that's really nice right by Yale 
So yeah. if you guys ever come through, I will I will definitely be there. I actually saw you guys in Connecticut at um in Hartford somewhere. I don't remember where Marissa Nadler opened for you. I remember that show. Which sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I'm a, I was a big fan of hers too. And I was like, Me too. I was like, that's a weird. It was a weird pairing. It's a weird pairing, but I like it. I love yeah. a weird I love a weird pairing. I, oh, it's sure. Better. Yeah. It's I great. saw Sylvanesso as an opener before I knew who they were, and I was like, oh. You All know, right. they opened they opened for Wild too. And oh, Europe. did they? That's how we met. That's how who we met. They, yeah. Who did they open for? Oh, I saw them open for Tune Yards. Oh, sure, sure, sure. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. Meryl's the best. <laughs> oh, I know. She has a new album coming too, which is great also. I know. Uh, I love this. I love those guys so much. Uh, All right. Well, I should go because I have to get I have to get on my daily walk. But um, it's, yeah, it's that time. It's, it's, that it's time. cool. <laughs> it's Thank that you time. Again. Thank you. Again. Of course. Have a great night. Thanks for such you a great too. chat and take care. Mm-hmm.